So you want less sex than your spouse does. Is that a problem? Well, it turns out that that's a question for your spouse. But if it is a problem, today we're going to help you navigate your way through this delicate issue. Welcome to the Only You Forever podcast. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you've been looking for. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Verlinda Simone Gendel. Hey, everybody. This is episode number 93, and we are going to be helping low-desire spouses bring more of their sexuality to the marriage in a way that I hope is low pressure, compassionate, and encouraging. And maybe you haven't heard the terminology low desire versus high desire. Many marriages will have sexual desire discrepancies in which one spouse desires more sex than the other spouse. And often, but not always, the husband is high desire and the wife is low desire. If your marriage is the other way around and the wife is high desire and the husband's low desire, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. So there's no judgment on low is bad or high is good. We just need to be aware that in almost every marriage, there's a difference in sexual desire. And this is not a bad thing. It's just, it just is what it is. Yep. But it can be a pain point if we don't know how to handle it or if we think it is a bad thing. And in these situations, the spouse with low desire often wants to meet the desire of the other spouse, but feels unable to do this when they just don't want sex. So Caleb, the big question is, what should the low desire spouse do? Well, that's the dilemma. That's and a big dilemma. Yes. So to unpack this, we're going to look at the nature of sexual desire first, and then just sort of try to unpack a little bit of the problems that sexual desire discrepancies can cause in marriage. And then we're going to look at some practical ways in which the low desire spouse can move forward. So those are kind of our three stages here. Okay. And since the focus is primarily on the low desire spouse, you know, and it's it's usually the lower desire spouse that reaches out for help, which is great. But I just wanted to have something for the high desire side too. So if you're that if you're the high desire higher desire spouse in your marriage, I have a one page document which we would like to email you a link to because your role in this is critical too. I Absolutely, mean, you can really like it takes two to tango. Burn it. Sorry, such an appropriate <laughs> statement for this kind of issue. It, and so anyways, it's called the tips for high desire spouses, but it's really much more than tips. There's three essential concepts that I explain and unpack for you in that document. And if you honestly consider these three ideas, it will help you get what you want more of, which is sex and intimacy, but not in a manipulative, you know, this is not a, how to this, extract more sex. Yeah, no, but in a way that's good for you and your spouse. So you can get the, a link to that emailed to you by texting the word podcast to 9292 spouse. Or you can go to our blog post for this episode at oyf.link slash 93. If you're the high desire spouse, you should get that link right away, just so you don't feel left out on the subject. I'm ready. So I want to refer to an article called The Nature of Sexual Desire in 2003 by Levine. And in this, he defines sexual desire as the sum of the forces that lean towards and away from sexual behavior. So what influences you to want or not want sex? Yeah, that's what desire is about. And he breaks it down into three components. And these are really helpful. The first one he calls drive, which is the biological component. It has anatomy. It has neuroendocrine physiology. It's about the makeup of our bodies. Mm -hmm. How you're made, how you're wired, how the chemicals in your body balance out. So for example, we know that testosterone levels in a man affects sexual desire. Mm -hmm. And testosterone levels in turn are affected by things like obesity, depression, 
even diet, exercise, all those things. And that, that whole, like how to raise your testosterone or not is, is a very complex subject in and of, of itself. Okay. But we just have to remember that there is this biological part. Okay. And I'm assuming like females have their own. Yes. Um, hormonal. Yeah. That testosterone was just an example. I think you're safe to assume that females do have their own hormonal, you know, dot, dot, dot. All the men in the world listening to us are nodding right now. Okay. Don't nod too hard, guys. (laughs) Thank you for setting the female race up for that. I'm sorry, ladies. Okay. The second one is motivation. And that's the psychological component, which is influenced by three things. Personal mental states such as joy or sorrow, like emotions. Like your mood. Yeah. And when we talk about not being in the mood, usually it's a reference to how our motivation is affected by our current emotional state. Fair enough? Yeah, yeah. There's interpersonal states such as mutual affection or disagreement or disrespect. That's about what's going on between us, not just inside of me now, but between us. How Mm -hmm. well are we getting along or how much non-sexual intimacy are we experiencing? Mm -hmm. Like how many times have you done the dishes? (laughs) Is that what you mean? We weren't going to try to manipulate people in this episode, remember? Oh, yeah. And the third part of that motivation piece is social concepts, which is the wider sphere again, such as the beliefs that are held around relationship duration and infidelity, other factors that come in from the circumstances of our Mm -hmm. lives. And all three of these really affect our motivation. That's the psychological component. So we had biological, psychological. And now the third part is that, again, that wider piece by itself, cultural. And he calls this wish. And he talks about the cultural component that reflects values, meanings, and rules about sexual expression that are inculcated in childhood. They're kind of programmed into us involuntarily. These are the values and beliefs that we just pick up watching the people around us. And this is why often when I'm counseling couples, I'll ask them, you know, when you saw how much of, um, it's a hard question to think of. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) How much affection did you observe between your parents? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like what is their norm or what they yeah. think is normal. And for some parents, like, you know, their sex life is private, but there's no shame or hiding from their kids that they're, they enjoy each other as a couple, that they're mm-hmm. lovers. Like gross your kids out. Yeah. It's not inappropriate, but it's visible. And other people, it's like, you know, it's just maybe no cold touch. hugs or nothing, or there was a lot of conflict or who knows, right? Okay. Hmm. But this can be a particularly huge issue for people of faith. And I hear time and again of couples where a spouse was taught for the first 20 years of his or her life that sex was bad. And then they get married mm-hmm. and they expect to become sexually active right away. But this belief that sex is bad, you know, it's kind of a switch that set the off position and they just can't flip it to the on position right away because they've been taught this so often. Oh. And making wedding vows isn't enough to, to kind of crack, to crack it over to the we're on, right? <laughs> flip it to on. Yeah, whatever. So it was a good, we're having a good day today. Yeah. So we're going to be unpacking this in a whole lot more detail in episode 96. You'll be able to get that a few weeks after this episode is published, but that's what he calls wish or belief. Now, you know, the issues related to differences in sexual desire can come up in one of these areas or a combination of them. And, and so that's what makes this particularly complex. Okay. Okay. But I just want to touch on the cost of this so that we understand why it's important, why it's important. And one other point, which I'll wait. It's a cliffhanger. Stand by. So now that we know about that nature of sexual desire stuff and the three parts, let's look at the type of issues that come up. So another study, more recent, 2014, looked at over a thousand married couples to look at the association between what they called sexual desire discrepancy 
and the four relationship outcomes in marriage. Okay. So sexual desire discrepancy is just about the difference between what the husband wants and the wife wants or vice versa. It's the difference in desire is what they're measuring. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And actually, I'm going to correct myself there. I thought it was the difference between what you wanted and what you got. Yes, that's accurate. Thanks. And the four, mm. four outcomes. Did I actually get something right? Oh, you always get stuff right. Don't give me that. The four outcomes they looked at were how satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody get her a ribbon, please. Okay. The four outcomes. They looked at were how satisfied the couple was with their marriage, how stable their relationship was, and how much conflict they had, and how much positive communication they had. So they're measuring this sexual desire discrepancy against those four things. Okay. Looking at basically how much sex they actually had versus how much they wanted. What they found is that high discrepancy for either spouse was generally associated with less satisfaction, less stability, less positive communication, and more conflict. If there was a high discrepancy. Huh. Between what people were getting and what they wanted. Yep. It didn't matter how long people had been married. So duration of marriage isn't helping the situation or taking away from it. Okay. Husbands were more likely to report larger discrepancies than wives. Hmm. That should be socially predictable, I think. Okay. And not only did they report larger discrepancies, but the sexual desire discrepancies in husbands were more likely to lead to negative marital communication compared to the same discrepancy found among wives. So wives weren't bothered by the discrepancy as much as husbands. Possibly, although the evidence that they're speaking of only shows they didn't have negative marital communication. So for men, it came to that outcome more than it came to that outcome for women. So men were going to be more vocal about it. Yes. Okay. Exactly. In a negative way. Okay. So I don't know if that's because husbands are taking this more personally than wives do generally, or if they bring a greater sense of entitlement to the marriage. Hmm. Or could it be that they bring more power to the marriage and wives are attempting to use the withholding of sex as a way to gain power for themselves? Or are we just socialized for this? Like there's a whole bunch of complex mm. issues in there and I don't really know why. And they didn't say why. Yeah. But this is just there and it is kind of what it is. And so the point is just to, just to make, or just to make the point is, is that having a discrepancy <laughs> <What> between point? <laughs> <laughs> the point is the point is the point. The, the, the discrepancy between what you want and what you get can impact your marriage negatively. And I don't say this to use it as a stick to ask low desire spouses, like you got to step up to the plate people, but just to say that, Hey, this difference may be an issue. It's typically more of an issue for husbands. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to normalize that for husbands out there that your wife isn't picking on you. You're not the only guy on the block who's not getting as much sex as he wants, but here's the deal. Taking that out on your wife is not going to help. Yes. So this is That's not, just going to get you less sex. Yes. I'm not intending to create a pity party for husbands, even though it might've sounded like that for a second there. Okay. The low desire spouse, usually the wife, not always, has to want to choose to do something differently. And that's who this episode is for. Right. I'm just remembering you did this exercise with me. I don't know, way back like a year ago. <laughs> do you remember that? Uh, the sticky notes. Yeah. forget? And that was, what was that for? Okay, let me explain it first. First of all, we had to write down on the sticky note... By yourself. By yourself, the number of times you thought you had sex a week. Is that right? And then on I a, just thought it was how many times you wanted it. And no, you had to write both down. How many times you thought you got it, and then how many times you wanted it. Yeah. And usually... And then you had to trade notes. Yes, and then you had to trade notes. <laughs> <laughs> but usually, what did you tell me? Usually, they... 
the number of times you thought you had it was different, but the number of times you wanted it was often the same. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't actually a discrepancy in what actually happened. It was a discrepancy of perception. It was perception huh. or Good something job. like that. I don't even remember that. I mean, I remember doing it, but I don't remember the backstory. Oh. But that's an interesting exercise that folks could try. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also raises the point for Linda that sometimes in marriages, there's a difference in desire, but both of you are still sexually satisfied. So I don't want to yeah. make a problem where yes. there isn't one. Exactly. And, and I just hope this will be interesting and helpful to you anyways, but don't you know, think that there's a problem. Right. If it's not a problem in your marriage, just because there's a difference in desire. Every yeah. marriage has a difference in desire. Yeah. And I mean, as you say, it's good just to ask your spouse, are you sexually yeah. satisfied? Yeah. A little scary, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to the chap that had the three differences related to drive, biological, psychological, and cultural. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to break these down now with sort of the how, the how to part, these three components. Okay. So starting with biological. It's just worth mentioning that these biological factors can play a huge role in issues of low desire. I spoke about testosterone before, but looking specifically at women who more often experience low drive, we see that desire can fluctuate under a number of different circumstances. And the researcher listed pregnancy. That's a huge one. Not speaking from experience or anything. What pregnancy is? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like that impacts desire? Yeah. Like it falls through the floor maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, just keep going. Before, during, or after. <laughs> and lactation. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> okay. Menstrual cycle, menopause, fatigue, mothering. Mm -hmm. That's something I've never done. As physical reasons a woman might experience low drive. I don't think you've done any of those, maybe except fatigue. Just Thank saying. you. Yeah, I've never lactated. So he states that it's common, it's also common for desire to be affected by medical conditions and the treatment of those medical conditions. So some drugs mm -hmm. have this effect mm -hmm. as well. And so just on that kind of whole side note, because there's a whole parenting issue there, we do talk about being new parents with a baby and the impact that that has on sexuality and how to successfully navigate that in your marriage in episode 77. So if you're a young parent, do grab that episode. You can pull it up in your browser at oyf.link slash 77, or you can just go back through your list of podcasts, look for number 77. If you have a newborn, I highly recommend it. But the point here is that life circumstances need to be taken into consideration. And mm -hmm. you, you should be cutting yourself some slack if you've had a baby or health issues. And if you're the husband, like you should be cutting your wife some slack. Yeah, absolutely. Or if you're just in a super busy season of life. Mm -hmm. So it's okay for sexual desire to ebb and flow through seasons of life and circumstances. What yes. we want to do is maintain an overall trajectory of building intimacy as a couple. That doesn't always have to look like hot sex. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't always look like just that. For sure not. Only that. <laughs> so if the issue of low desire has become particularly pervasive, and I'm not a doctor here, so I'm just... Uh, recommending to you now what other professionals in, in different areas of mm -hmm. expertise recommend. If this low desire comes on suddenly or without warning, or it's present when no obvious psychological or relationship factors at play, it's worth looking and investigating if there's biological factors yep. going on. Yeah. And so you want to go see a gynecologist or your family doctor and you may need meds or something. Yes. It may be a symptom of a problem. Yes. Yes. So go see, go see a doctor. And also keep in mind, there's lots of street and prescription drugs that reduce sexual desire and alcohol, even in small quantities, can reduce sex drive. Can we go back for a minute? You yeah. made it sound like 
you know, a woman, if you've got something wrong with you, like go to the doctor, get some drugs. Like, oh, okay. I think we need to have a little bit more compassion here. Well, I did. Uh, can I be slightly defensive for a moment? But I do okay. think we need more compassion. The slightly defensive part is I did say if it's come on suddenly or without warning. Okay. Yeah. But go on with the compassion because I don't want to come across as. Well, it's a real thing. Like if something's wrong and all of a sudden, like. Yeah. You don't know what's wrong with you and you just don't feel like doing this. Like it's yeah. a, it's a scary place to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's not like you're going mental or there's something wrong in your head yeah. or whatever. Like you just need a little bit of help. Yeah. 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 Don't feel like you're, you're alone and you can't do anything about it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Psychological factors. So the second part of sexual desire is motivation and it's separate from drive in that a spouse can have drive to have sex but not have motivation, which is the desire to have sex with their spouse. It's kind of a, a bit of a nuance there. Yeah. And this is often due to relational factors in the marriage or individual factors in the low desire spouse, these psychological things. So we want to talk about some of these. And a lot of the non-medical treatments for low desire are not extensively researched. I think that's something we need to be upfront about. And most of the knowledge on the subject comes from clinical observation and not from proper empirical research. Okay. So I'm just going to give some ideas here, but I'm qualifying that these are not surefire things. They're not, you know, I can't state with them the same degree of confidence that I do a lot of other research that we refer to. Right. But it doesn't mean they're not going to help or something. No, they often do. Yeah. And you can get a lot of help with a therapist for this kind of issue. Mm-hmm. So the first part in the psychological thing, aspect, I should say, is to recognize your place of power. And it takes the agreement of both parties to engage in consensual sex, but it only takes the refusal of one spouse to avoid sex. Mm -hmm. And this puts the low desire spouse in a very powerful position. So in many ways, the future of your marriage and whether it will turn into a sexless marriage rests on the low desire spouse and how he or she chooses to move forward. Hmm. That's why caution is needed. So if you're in that low desire position, one of the, I'm not saying you're doing this, but I would like to challenge you to think about how you might be withholding sex in order to gain power. And maybe you have to do that or you feel you have to do that. So I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying, let's just kind of pull this back a little bit and ask if it's going on. Do you need, and to ask the question, do you need to do that in your marriage? In some marriages, in some ways, it may make sense that, yeah, you do need to do that. Okay. In other marriages, you may not, but it's something you kind of learn from your, your family of origin. But your husband is not the same as what your dad was with your mother, but you're seeing him through that lens. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Right? It's very subtle. And so I'd ask the question, can you find another way to feel that you're a contemporary or an equal with your spouse without leveraging that through withholding sex? And this is where desire quickly becomes a relational issue. Yeah. Which leads me to my next point, and that is the problem of deliberately withholding sex. So the low desire spouse has this place of power, and really determines when the couple does or does not have sex. Unfortunately, deliberately withholding sex can be what leads to the problem of low desire. Really? Yes. So there's a couple authors that were looking at this, and they pointed out that most low desire spouses don't feel desire, but they wish that they did. They withhold sex, oftentimes based on the belief that abstinence is normal behavior, and this withholding of sex, it actually perpetuates the issue of low desire. I just, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you think that it's normal not to have sex. And so therefore you squelch your desire. Yeah. Oh. And then you, you, it just reinforces the low desire part. Yeah. But they actually wish they had more desire Hmm. too. Okay. So you can cause the low desire 
that you don't want because you're training yourself to remove yourself from that desire. Does that make sense? It's kind Hmm. of a backwards way of saying it, but it's not what you want and it's not helpful. And so this is why deliberately withholding sex as a habit in your marriage, uh, you may need to stop and challenge yourself to to stop doing that if this is something Hmm. that you want to increase. Interesting. Something else to think about. Yeah. Now, another point is to think about the place of eroticism in your marriage. And so there, again, more research from 2012 now. And these researchers just provided a framework for maintaining desire for couples. And they gave three guidelines related to motivation. Okay. First is building intimacy, mm-hmm. engaging a non-demand pleasuring is second. Mm-hmm. And the third is developing eroticism. So I talk about the first two, building intimacy and engaging in non-demand pleasuring in the bonus content for this episode. That's that's the tips for the high desire spouse. And oh, obviously okay. both spouses can work on building intimacy and engaging in this non-demand pleasuring. But I really see this as something the high desire spouse can contribute to the marriage. So you think about someone who's got high desire, but they're going to bring pleasure to the marriage that doesn't have an expectation tied to it. So that's the non-demanding pleasure. Non-demand pleasure. I'm going to give you pleasure and I'm not going to demand yes. sex from it. Yes. Basically. Huh. And so if you want more sex, get that document. It's a PDF. We can email it to you. You can get it by texting the word podcast to 9292 spouse or by going to the blog post for this episode at oyf.link slash 93. But let's talk about the eroticism part. Okay. Okie dokie. This is really interesting. So erotic scenarios and techniques are perhaps the most confusing and controversial part of couples' sexuality. And this is, again, from these researchers. They say the challenge is to develop erotic scenarios and techniques which build subjective and objective arousal. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit. Yeah. What happens is, you know, you get intimacy in marriage, and and then some researchers will come in and they'll say, well, you can get too much intimacy, but you have no eroticism in the intimacy. And so that over-intimacy without this erotic component actually smothers sexual desire because there's so much closeness that the partners kind of de-eroticize each other and they Mm. lose the capacity to initiate, to be sexually playful, and to value sexual creativity and vitality. Hmm. So they just kind of, they're doing their thing. So there's enough quantity of sex. And maybe this is now more about the quality. Hmm. And this is where it's important to re-sort of bring in that part of eroticism where there's playfulness and there's sort of... There's the assertive initiation of sex. Like was a, it's a burning I want you, not we're just, it's Thursday night, we're having sex. Right. Because okay. that's what we do every Thursday night. Yeah. Okay. And just the creativity and the vitality and those kinds of things that are, that are a key part here. So that, that eroticism is definitely a significant part. Now, I want to mention, and I'm just going to kind of blow through a list of 10 things here uh, that are worth mentioning that can come into the psychological part as well. Okay. Relationship issues, number one. And so husband, if you only get friendly with your wife when it's bedtime and you ignore her the rest of the evening, you should expect to have a difference in sexual desire. Yes. So yeah. relationship issues, like you need emotional intimacy to really have healthy, desired sexual intimacy. Yeah. Difficulty with arousal or orgasm. This is number two. If one of you has troubles with arousal or achieving orgasm, it could lead to a lower response. There's less desire because there's the outcome it's awkward. is difficult, awkward, embarrassing, shameful, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Number three, rigid anti-sexual teaching. Again, we'll be talking that in, about that in a few episodes. But if you've been taught that your genitals are dirty or that sex is bad, that could really impact your desire. Yeah. Number four, sexual trauma. And there's many adult women that have had at least one experience of sex or sex, a sexual experience that's left them confused or guilty or traumatized. And the self-blame that comes with this and other aspects and so on 
that can lead to low sexual desire as well. Hmm. So that's, you know, that's a very real issue. Number five, sexual ambivalence. It's more common in women from alcoholic and dysfunctional homes where they feel a need now to show excessive control because life was so out of control. Yeah. And again, that needs a lot of compassion, but that is something that can be helped. Number six, feeling sexually naive or awkward Mm -hmm. can lead to being lower desire. Number seven, the entrepreneurial male. Hmm. This is an interesting one. He's conquered everything in his life. He's achieved success, including with his wife, and he's no longer bothered by his own trivial sexual needs or those of his wife. He's not against the marriage. He just has bigger projects he's working on. That can lead to low sexual desire. Yeah. Number eight, a lack of bonding in infancy. And so folks oh. who've experienced that can find it hard to be close and experience the warmth associated with sex. Yeah. Number nine, a husband who had a controlling male depreciating mother. He's grown up feeling unsure of himself and inadequate as a man and now has a wife. And that could be scary for him. That's intimidating. Yeah. Number 10, being homosexually oriented, but in a heterosexual marriage could lead to a lack of desire as well. Mm. Yeah. And yet the good news again is that there is help and treatment for this. So sex therapy is one area of counseling that has good success rates. And if you need help, there is hope. You can make this part of your marriage very rich, even if it's difficult, painful, sad, grief causing right now. Yeah. I would just really encourage you to reach out for for that help. Let's just spend a few minutes on cultural factors and then we'll wrap up. So the third component of sexual desire, as we mentioned, is this cultural piece. And it leads to expectations regarding what sex should be like. Yep. Should be like. And I think that's a good spot to stop and say, hey, what are the real issues here? Because instead of having an actual problem with sex drive, it could be there's a problem with your perception about what your sex drive should be. Yeah. Like if you're watching movies that show mm-hmm. a lot of sexual activity, mm-hmm. you might think that that's what sex needs to be. Yes. You know, they have something to sell, which is the movie. So they're going to present a very idealized version of a sexual experience. Right. And this can come from R-rated movies or pornography. And mm. those expectations that come from those can lead to low sexual desire when your real life sexual encounters with your spouse don't meet the expectations. Hmm. And so that begs the question, what is the reality about married sex? Oh, okay. So here's some statistics. Our culture emphasizes mutual and synchronous couple sexual experiences. I'm quoting here. Meaning that couples have equal levels of desire, arousal, and orgasm each time. Among happily married, sexually satisfied couples, this occurs in less than 50% of encounters. That's from a study by Lauman et al. 1999. So couples Ah, in their sex. Happily married. Yes. Hit the sweet spot less than half the time. Huh. This is not a survey of all couples. This is a survey of sexually satisfied couples. Oh. So people that are doing well hit the sweet spot less than half the time. Wow. Yes. And they're still very happy despite that. So they're happily married. So would that be because their expectations aren't so high? You know what I mean? Like they're not comparing themselves to yeah. the movies or whatever yes. has formed their yeah. expectations. Yeah. Now, I don't watch any R-rated movies. No. But like how many, if I'm just guessing, how many do you think are out there where there's a disappointing sexual encounter and it's a blockbuster? Like, Yeah, people aren't really It doesn't sell, right? That. Yeah. So we can't, we can't use those standards. So these researchers go on to say that it's normal for 5 to 15% of sexual encounters among happily married, sexually satisfied couples to be dissatisfying or dysfunctional. Just outright, like that didn't work. 5 to 15%. But, yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. And so this is where it's kind of a good spot to wrap up because one of my concerns with doing this topic is that we go, somebody goes, oh boy, we have a difference in sexual desire. Therefore we have a problem. But that's not. It's not necessarily the case. No. It is the case sometimes. Yeah. And in our marriage, there's a difference in sexual desire. Yeah. But we're both of the belief that we're sexually satisfied. Absolutely. So the difference is there, but the difference is not a problem. And that's what I want you to think about. And, and just ask yourself these questions. Is the difference a real problem in that one of you is dissatisfied or maybe both of you are dissatisfied? Or have you come to be holding some unrealistic expectations and in reality, everything's fine. Your marriage is quite normal and could be happy oh. if you chose to see your sexual experiences differently. As that way. Huh. Yeah. So if it's a matter of perception and you're both satisfied, great. But what if one is higher desire and the other is lower desire? My best counsel for you in that situation is to acknowledge that desire and arousal are two different things. And I'll just close with this. If you're the low desire spouse, you may not want sex. Like the drive may not be there, but you can still be willing to allow your spouse to arouse you to engage in sex. And that's just about being willing and open. Mm-hmm. And if you're the high desire spouse, you don't have to take your low desire spouse's lack of desire as a personal insult. It doesn't mean that you're not attractive. It doesn't mean that you're unsexy. It just means there's a difference in drive. So work on the overall intimacy of your marriage, emotional as well as physical, and lift that whole thing up and see what happens. That's now, good. Thanks. If there is a difference in desire that causes dissatisfaction in one or both of you, then I would counsel you to more seriously consider one of the areas of concern that we've addressed in this episode. If someone's unhappy, get help. Yeah. Encourage them to get help if it's not you. And you can make this a part of your marriage that is happy and enjoyable and satisfying rather than stressful and painful and maybe a source of grief. So again, if I can assist you in any way, please reach out to me and get in touch through our website. So before we go, Caleb... We had a review, I'm assuming this is an iTunes review, Yes, from a listener in the US of A. Mm-hmm. And they say, great podcast, five stars by, do you want to pronounce it? I think it's like E. Chaitman or something. All right. He says, he or she says, mm-hmm. excellent advice and each podcast gives me new ideas on how I can make my marriage better. Highly recommend this podcast. Nice. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for leaving that. If you're listening, E. Chaitman. And good for you for taking the ideas and Running with working them. them in your marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Next week, we're talking, Verlinda, about the one thing that every distressed marriage is doing wrong. Ooh. And it's actually a fascinating episode about how the very way we try to save our marriage ends up taking us further apart. Sounds good. Also, we'd like to thank Ryan for his support of our podcast. Ryan, we really appreciate your contribution as one of the first donors through our pledging system. Thank you also for your feedback and advice on that. You are in our inner circle email list. And we also have a couple other goodies on the way to show our gratitude as well. If you're listening today and you would like to, you've received benefit from what you've listened to and you would like to give back, we would certainly appreciate your support as we transition into this business full time and seek to reach more marriages and help more couples. And you can do that by going to oif.link slash give. We would very much appreciate your help, even just for a few dollars a month. It'll just help us move us forward. And thank you, Ryan. So that's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash nine three. And if you need help in your marriage with this subject or anything else that we've discussed on the other podcast, please reach out to Caleb about marriage counseling. I'd love to work with you and help you create a marriage that you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 
Thank you for listening to the OnlyYouForever.com podcast. Please help us reach and influence a wider audience by rating and reviewing our podcast at OnlyYouForever.com slash love. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. This is episode number 93. And we are going to be helping low desire spouses bring more of their sexuality to sexuality. <laughs> I think I should go back to bed. I'm Relinda. I'm a sexuologist. <laughs> Sexual- <laughs> okay.